Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. I'm Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about FU money, which you probably got that idea from the title of the show. One thing I'm going to try for today, and perhaps moving forward, is to roll the ads here at the beginning. Some of the podcasts that I really enjoy, like the Lex Friedman podcast and Andrew Huberman, those are kind of lifestyle and productivity and some other random topics in there. They put their ads at the beginning. Sometimes they last for a few minutes. I think Tim Ferriss does this as well. So I'm going to roll them at the beginning. And I appreciate it if you do check out our sponsor, which is Otis Global. They have age domains and stuff like that. So, well, it's just age domains. There's no other stuff like that. It's just age domains. So if you hop over there, it'd be awesome. If you want to skip the commercials, that is okay. You can skip ahead and just, you know, fast forward a bit. This message is brought to you by Otis Global. That's O-D-Y-S. And they are the source. It is the source. I don't know if it's plural or singular, but we'll just say Otis is the source for age domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. The featured domain for today is the spirit, and that is the S-P-I-R dot I-T. This is the former domain of a site that reviewed the best cocktail recipes found in bars, or maybe you make them at home. I'm, I actually drink more at home than uh, out in bars. It's just so expensive to drink in bars. Anyway, it also provided tips about making your favorite drinks just like a scene from cocktail, right? Do you, you guys remember that movie? It's dating me a little bit. Had Tom Cruise, great actor. He would whip those bottles around and stuff. Anyway, you maybe could have a little feature on, on that portion. But here are some of the quick metrics on the site. It has a domain rating of 26. It has been as high as 58 back in the early days. And the site was created back in 2017. So that is about four years old. If I'm doing math correctly, the domain authority is 36. Now, this is a great niche if you're into drinking. I have to say, if you are interested in cocktails, and I have some friends around here, they make their own uh, like simple syrup, and they, they, they get really into it. They make their own tinctures and other things, other words. I, I, don't, I don't make cocktails too often, and I just keep it fairly simple when I do. And I took a look over at the Wayback Machine, and it, it's actually kind of a it's an interesting site you can search for different cocktails it looks like quite a database here i don't know what you would do to potentially recreate that but maybe you could explore the wayback machine and see now if you already have a site in this sort of a niche then it would be perfect to snag this domain redirect it and plug it into your existing site they have different areas you could filter based on the type of spirit like brandy dark rum tennessee whiskey tequila vodka and so on liqueurs like absinthe uh, they have bitters listed triple sec uh, irish cream liqueur peach schnapps and so on mixers like dry vermouth honey juice soda sweet vermouth and the drink type like a shot frozen or a uh, hot layered I'm just throwing out buzz, buzzwords, and if people are at work and you're thinking, man, I could use a drink, 
just you know make it till five you'll be in good shape all right let's look at a couple other of the details here like the number of referring do domains if i can get it out you have 237 referring domains and 176 of those are do follow and i do want to have another you know a quick look at some of the big links that the site has independent.co.uk the kitchen.com serious eats the daily meal the star.com ad week and huffpost.com so tons of good links pointing to the site and i think if you're you know like i said if you're in a spot where you actually have a site already sort of in this niche it would be perfect to pick this one up and redirect it for a site with recipes and just informational content like this it makes a lot of sense to have display ads generally but you also could go after that home uh, mixologist i think they call themselves i would not call myself that but some people call themselves that but you could target accessories and other gear that people would need to make fancy cocktails at home and just like anything there's some counterculture there's a subculture out there that exists and all you have to do is tap into it there's tons of products that you could do reviews on and earn from that mechanism as well and i would venture to guess there are probably plenty of online courses on mixology and cocktails and doing that stuff at home and just learning about bartending so it's worth checking out thanks to otis for sponsoring this and you can get a hundred dollars into your account if you use my affiliate link and i get a commission if you actually purchase anything but you do get a hundred dollars in your account and that is a great thing so Thanks a lot to Otis and yeah, catch you later. It's Doug again. This is kind of a meta situation, but I'll let you in, fine listener. Basically, I initially recorded this episode without thinking that I was going to put the ad at the beginning, but here I did that. And now the original intro and the original podcast doesn't really fit. And it turns out, again, this is very meta. I think the air conditioner was running. So you could hear like a gentle hum, either that or I was running my hair dryer or a vacuum cleaner at the same time. Anyway, the original intro won't stand as it, as it was. So I'm re-recording that part and then I'm going to launch you into the other portion that I recorded before. So forget about seamlessly transitioning like some sort of magic since I'm telling you all these different editing things that I'm doing. But what I can tell you is I never thought I'd do an episode about FU money at all. I wasn't even really familiar or thinking about the concept years ago. However, in this episode, I will tell you about FU money and what it is, the value of FU money, and if you have it already, we'll kind of look at how you can determine it. And if not, what will it take to get there? Now we will see me. <laughs> Man, it's like pushing, pushing a rock uphill. All right. We're going to seamlessly transition into the actual episode, the pre-recorded episode. So I'll send it back to past Doug. So this is one of those topics that is now, you know, really crossing over a lot with the 
financial independence and personal finance interests that I have, but it fits in perfectly. And when I think back of some of my favorite movies, actually, I'm just thinking of one movie, but this is a, a movie that came out in some very formative years for me. So this movie is called Office Space. It came out in 99, produced by, or maybe directed or written by Mike Judge. Mike Judge is the dude behind it, but Office Space really captured what it was like for me and many of my friends and peers for the like corporate life that we experienced. We were software developers, so it fit in perfect with Peter and Michael and Samir. And if you haven't seen the movie, do yourself a favor and check it out. I mean, I think most people probably have seen it at this point. It has quite a cult following. There's a few things that have aged a little bit. I mean, it was released in 1999, but if you, you know, if you look back, you will see, um, gosh, it's exactly what it was like for me working. And there were so, (laughs) there were so many parallels. I mean, there were characters that were really extreme, but I, I had a boss that looked like a Lumberg, uh, I think it was it was a co-op job, like an internship, but he had the glasses, wore suspenders. I mean, the dude looked just like Lumberg and he talked like him with the same cadence and all that stuff. But when I think back, I can relate to the individuals in the movie. And then I think it would have been great to have FU money back then when I was like suffering through it. And I didn't think that I would ever be in a position where I could like leave the the corporate gig it felt like oh you have to work until you're 59 and a half and then you could finally touch those retirement accounts and now i have so much more knowledge and i i just feel so much more confident financially so i want to tell you about fu money so it, it means fuck you so i'll just say fu is a little bit shorter and hopefully no one listens to my show with children in your car or people with sensitive ears or anything like that. But I'll probably just say F you. It's a little bit shorter for me to say, but just know that it means fuck you. (laughs) So the classic piece of this puzzle is you can tell your boss, fuck you. I'm leaving. I don't want to do whatever nonsense thing that you told me to do. I'm out of here. I don't need this job and I'm leaving. So I am far more diplomatic than that. I I would probably never say, fuck you, I'm out of here. But there were uh, situations in my career where I just said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. It was once or twice and it actually ended up being a fairly, uh, I would say lightly confrontational, (laughs) lightly confrontational. And I was like, I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not coming in on the weekend. We've already been doing the shift work and this is unreasonable. And I don't care if I'm not a team player. I have to make decisions based on my individual uh, life and my individual happiness. And I realize there's consequences to go along with this and I'm happy to accept them. So in a way, at that point in time, I, correctly or incorrectly, I had the confidence to have that kind of interaction with my boss and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that and I'll accept the consequences. So 
again, sort of the classic idea of fuck you money is you have enough money where you can tell your boss to fuck off. And, and generally the idea and the, the feeling behind it, and this is probably closer to what I was in a financial position for, the general idea is like, I'm financially stable. If the economy goes down, if my rent goes up, if if my rent goes up a lot, like these are things that are happening right now. I mean, economy, the economy is unusual, right? Depending on the sector of where you're working, you may be impacted in a positive or negative way. Rent and real estate has been very expensive in many regions of the U.S. Um, and you hopefully will feel financially confident and stable. Or maybe if you get laid off or fired, you would be okay with that. Um, there's tons of other factors, right? Like maybe your, uh, your child wants to, I don't know, go to an expensive camp that's very important for them. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's, uh, some sort of an athletic camp or something. So it is going to help them make the basketball team or make the cheerleading team or whatever. So you would be able to afford it. Now that's something you could maybe plan and think about, but essentially, you have that sort of financial stability where if your car dies or you need major repairs, you can buy a new car. You can pay for the repairs without going into major debt and then sort of spiraling out of control. So if, and a lot of people are in this situation, but if you're, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you have debt and you have to make minimum payments and then your car dies and you can't pay for it, you're kind of screwed. Like you, you couldn't, tell your boss to F off, right? You would have to suck it up and continue working in potentially a position that you aren't happy in with a boss that maybe you don't like, or you don't trust the decisions that they're making. And you're kind of, you're stuck in a spot where you don't have as much flexibility to do what you want. So that's the general idea of F you money. You could tell your boss, fuck off. Next, why? Why is this valuable? Well, I think I explained several scenarios where it would be really helpful if you had that financial stability to make your own calls and kind of do what you want. But let's get a little bit more specific. So of course you have the flexibility, you have the confidence when you're in your job to maybe speak up a little bit more. And that is the position that I was in shortly before I got laid off in 2015. And speaking honestly, it's probably one of the reasons I got laid off because I was doing things how I thought they should be done. And I, you know, I had enough autonomy and I had a team of people working for me where I could make decisions and do things that I didn't have to, you know, check with other people to do it. Now, technically I, I should have checked and I had been checking, but all of a sudden, I had a little bit more confidence, and then I was making those decisions without checking because I knew I would be told no, or let's think about it, or have 10 more meetings with several other people, or I could just do it, make the decision, and then have my team execute upon that. It was cool. We learned a lot. The team loved it, honestly, because many of the ideas came from the team. So they actually wanted to do it. I mean, they had full buy in, and it was great for them. Uh, the point is I had confidence to do things on my own. Eventually it led to my, you know, getting laid off, but I did have the, uh, 
and then have the financial stability there. The other part of this, which is potentially more positive, is you will have power in negotiation. So if you are going in, maybe you want to ask for a raise. Maybe you want to ask for a different position and more responsibilities to learn skills that you don't have yet or that you're more interested in. You can do it, right? You can go in from sort of a position of power at the negotiating table where if you really need the job, you might be afraid to ask for what you want for basically asking for something extra, something that, you know, maybe you're not quite qualified for, but you want to learn how to do those things. So you, I don't know, you could just be more confident with the whole thing. So the other value is all the flexibility. And I'll just give you some specific examples. I did look up some stats from stress org and it said that I think this was a US based in the US this survey here but 40% of people said that their job was very stressful or extremely stressful and 25% of the survey responders said that their job was their number one stressor additionally 56% of the people did not find their job fulfilling and 26% said they dreaded work, which I have been there. I, my old job was project-based. So luckily, most projects were you know six months, maybe 18 months or so. Some of them were shorter, just a couple months. But it meant you got some variety and you got to move around to different projects, which was good. If you were in a good one, it was sad to leave. And then if you were in a bad one, it was great to get the hell out of there so you wouldn't have to deal with that dreadful project. And for me, a lot of the dread was during uh, travel periods because I, I, I enjoy travel, but when you're traveling for work, you may have to go to a town that's not so fun. And then when you're on the road working, especially in the consulting industry, the culture is well, you have nothing else to do. So you may as well work 12 hour days at the client site and get the FaceTime and you don't have much of a life after that. So you end up working a lot of hours and living hard. Well, I, I definitely lived pretty hard and didn't get enough sleep and I drank too much because you get out of the office and then you get to go out to eat with your coworkers. If you're lucky, a couple of them are your friends and then you have a per diem and you end up me and my friends, we were in the, our 20s. So of course we drank too much and ate terrible food and stayed up too late. And it was just a series of hangovers <laughs> for most of the work week. And then you get home to try and do some laundry and catch up. And then we stayed out too late then too. Put a lot of years on my on my life <laughs> during those those travel times. But the, the travel was rough on me and being at home was was much better. It was much, much better. There were some fun parts with the travel, but all in all, it was a little bit rough. So some other great advantages of the value, or I guess the value of FU money is basically you can start making some decisions, not just based on money, but other factors like your happiness. You know, like I was just saying, I wasn't very happy when I was on the road traveling taking two flights a week. Uh, it was just 
it was rough or I, I guess it was more than that two two flights to get there yeah so two flights per week and ah, gosh I, I can't believe I traveled that much it's, it's insane so anyway the other part when you end up in a spot where you have fu money and I'll define a little bit more um, specifically so you can make an assessment yourself but you have the ability to go on a sabbatical or take a break for a little while. And this could happen maybe like if you get laid off from your job, you can pause. You don't necessarily have to get a job as soon as possible because you have some money that will keep you afloat. You are not living paycheck to paycheck and you're able to potentially do some really cool shit like go travel. I've been bumping into several people in the last month or so that have had an opportunity for a sabbatical. They travel for about six months to a year. They're totally refreshed when they finish. And they're, they, they come at their career with sort of, a, I guess, more excitement and like a fresh set of eyes and a relaxed brain. One thing that I've seen as well is it, it takes some time to decompress from the job, especially if you come from like a high pressure a career or industry, it may take, you know, a couple months for your brain to just settle down and for you to get out of your, your old habits of, you know, constantly checking um, your email and reacting and being in that high stress environment. But several of the people that I've talked to, they, they didn't necessarily want to go on a sabbatical for years. They kind of left it open. They thought maybe about six months and a lot of them ended up going back to work after six months or uh, a year. So they, they thought at a minimum six months and then they went back to work after a year. And usually it's more on their terms. So when they got the break, they were able to think, oh, I enjoy this part. I don't enjoy that. Maybe I can do some work that's a little bit more meaningful for me. So when you take that break, and you're able to rest a little bit, you might go back to the same industry, but in a different capacity so that you can do things that make you a little happier, that are less stressful for you, all that stuff. However, you may also be able to check out your other interests. So someone else I know, they they actually, they did retire. You know, they're a little bit older than me, but they did retire and they are now checking out one of their hobbies in a serious way. She was very interested in photography. So I think she's purchased a little bit more gear and then she's taking classes and she's getting, you know, expert instruction one-on-one time with a photographer that's teaching her how to do the thing that she wants to do. So she now has this flexibility to go and explore one of her hobbies and see what she can do now that she has more time and she is having a blast doing it and potentially is going to be able to earn um, enough money to sustain herself after, um, I guess, after this little sabbatical period. So you could frame it however you want. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I want to try to write a book or I want to explore this other hobby of videography or something like that. Fill in your hobby, whatever it is. So once you have the time. It's totally possible to do this. And the other underlying, 
the underlying piece here that I've said indirectly a few times is this will generally remove money stress if you have it. Now, some people are just stressed out and no matter how much money you have, you will still have a little stress about it, but you can probably be confident that if your rent changes, you'll be able to handle it. If your car needs repairs, you'll also be able to handle that. You won't have to go into debt or put it on a credit card. You can just pay for it and be good. So that is obviously very, it's good to get rid of stress. So if if there's a way that you can do it, you should go for it. So now, now let's get into whether or not you have reached the FU money stage. And there's a couple ways to look at this. I actually did a little bit of research and this may mean something different to you. And it may be, you know, a combination of a few factors. And sort of the easier one to obtain is essentially an emergency fund. So that could be six months to 24 months of your expenses in the bank in a a liquid asset that you can get to. So again, if one of these situations happens, if you get laid off, you would be okay. If your boss is asking you to do some unreasonable thing and it's a really bad work environment, you can leave. You can say, fuck you, I'm out of here. And then you would have enough expenses to sustain your lifestyle, pay for your expenses for six to 24 months. Sidebar, right? If you have that amount and you're living in a relatively expensive place to live, so think uh, like the US in an expensive sort of tier one city, if you decide, I want to move abroad to a cheaper place, then you may have several years of savings to sustain you in a cheaper place. So an example, uh, I had a friend at the time, he was living in, I think, the San Francisco Bay Area, generally that metro area, which is a very expensive place to live. He and his wife went to Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is, uh, I, I hear, very wonderful and relatively inexpensive for what you get. And they, they went there and they were in great shape. They had a very nice long runway for him to start and grow his business, which he did. And then once things were established, he moved back to the US. And I've heard many examples of that, by the way. So if you have an emergency fund and you live in an expensive place, you could relocate to a cheaper place. And it may not be abroad, right? You could just move to a cheaper region within the country that you're at or wherever you want to go. So you do have all that flexibility. So that's a little bit easier to get to. It's, you know, a few months to several months of savings liquid so that you can get to it. You know, if it's tied up in an equity in a house, that's harder to obtain. Sure, there's ways you could borrow against that. But generally, we're talking about liquid assets. The other way the I would say the, the harder one to reach, and really this is financial independence, That is exercising the 4% rule. And I've talked about it and linked to it a couple of times, but I did a show on my other podcast, Mile High Fi, where we talk about the 4% rule. The general idea here is you invest in index funds, 
we'll say like a total market index fund. And then you need to have sort of a lump sum of 25 times your annual expenses, which the inverse of that is the 4% rule. So basically, if your expenses are $40,000 per year, just to make the math simple, if you multiply that by 25, you end up with 1 million. So if your expenses are $40,000 a year, you could save up a million dollars invested in a total market index fund or an S&P 500 type index fund. The assumption is you would earn roughly, and the numbers are not going to be exact here, but you would earn roughly about 8% with inflation adjusted returns. So over time, you would potentially just not ever run out of money. So one thing to keep in mind there is there's there's some other complexities in there. You know, you would have to account for uh, inflation. You would have to account for taxes. You also could think, well, can I get a part-time job that pays $20,000 a year? Or can I commit to somehow figure out how to earn $20,000 a year? And then the math changes because then your expenses could be $60,000 if we're still dealing with that uh, million dollar amount. So there's a lot more information there, but that is sort of the, the bigger goal. And if you hit that amount, right, if you save 25 times your annual expenses, you are in the financial independence, uh, neighborhood, right? There's some other things you could tweak, but generally when people are talking about retiring early, when people are talking about reaching financial independence, they're using some form of the 4% rule. So once you have hit that 4% rule, then you're gold, right? Like you basically can live off of your investments through the returns and you don't have to work again. You never have to work again at that point because you're, you'd be able to just live off of the interest. And some people are into real estate, so that can be a portion of it to diversify what you're doing. A lot of my friends actually own you know, one or several rental homes or apartment buildings or something like that because they enjoy real estate. Me personally, I don't enjoy it much, don't care to own it. I don't want to be a landlord. And, you know, you can get some great returns from real estate if you buy in the right market and you get a good deal and all that stuff. No interest in it, but it seems to be awesome for people that do like real estate. So, are you there yet? What you need to do is a hopefully something you've already done, figure out your net worth. If you don't know your net worth, there's many calculators online and stuff like that, but essentially you log your assets on one side, that's the positive area, and then you subtract all your liabilities, all your debt, your mortgage, stuff like that. So again, fairly straightforward. Hopefully a lot of you already have a pretty good handle on this. And that, that said, funny thing, I actually, I'm not even sure our net worth, my, my wife and I are our net worth total because we generally just look at our investments in cash on hand. So we have a handful of other assets, but we're generally just thinking about the phi aspect of it and 
We look at our post-tax brokerage accounts. Um, I have my stuff at E-Trade. She has hers at some other place. And then we look at our pre-tax retirement accounts. So with the pre-tax retirement accounts, you can't get to those until you're 59 and a half in most cases or 55 if you have a specific plan that allows you to access the money by then. But generally, you can assume 59 and a half. A few years back, I realized, hey, I don't want to work until I'm 59 and a half. We need to invest money where we can get to it without incurring a penalty and all that stuff. So we decided to start investing in these post-tax brokerage accounts, which are fully liquid. I mean, the, basically... That's just an E-Trade account or some other brokerage where you could buy ETFs or mutual funds or individual stocks or whatever you want. And in my case, I'm getting the you know Vanguard index funds. Those are the ones I like. And I didn't mention it at the top, but this is not financial advice at all. I'm just a person talking about my own experiences. So hopefully it's entertaining, but it's certainly not financial advice. You should talk to your uh, professional out there. Um, although I'll tell you, I don't trust financial advisors myself. <laughs> I did much better managing my own money. The financial advisors typically will advise you to buy things that they get a commission on. So they're affiliates for those specific products. So it turns out you can't really trust them. And I've heard so many horror stories where, you know, someone in their 20s are trying to do a good thing and invest in their future and save for retirement and they go and get advice and they're sold some crazy product that's all front loaded with the commissions and has high fees and all that stuff. And the reason why I like Vanguard is their fees are extremely low. They're extremely low. There's no salespeople or anything like that. And the returns are fantastic. Um, I mean, it's the total market. So it follows along with the entire stock market. You don't have to pick stocks or do anything like that. Okay. The point there was supposed to be figure out your net worth. So once you figure out your net worth, then you can back into whether or not you have FU money. And I think for for a lot of people in the audience, it's probably, it's probably closer than you expected. I, I hope so. Anyway, I know when I've when I've talked to some of my friends who are, you know, roughly the same age as me, like, you know, in our forties or mid thirties or so, we've been working for a few years and hopefully you've accumulated some money. I was thinking the other day, my, my corporate career was really, it was like nine years. I only had a corporate job for nine years. I worked at, um, Accenture for like two, two and a half and then I worked um, just under nine, I think, for a company called Amdocs, which was great. But both companies were great to work for. Um, any bad stories I mentioned about bosses weren't at either of those companies. Okay. For, from a legal standpoint, I guess I should say that. And I didn't mention which company I worked for, for the individual story that I mentioned. Um, that said, away from work, everybody was cool. So, and I can't remember now that I, I was like, did I say nine years or 10 years? Nine or 10 years is how long I worked in the uh, the corporate world. And it was great to get out of there. I mean, it was scary to get laid off. I remember the day specifically. I remember that week because I got 
an email from my, what we call a career counselor. It's like a mentor. So he sent me an email and said, hey, I want to sync up with you on uh, this Friday afternoon. Also, we're going to have the HR director hop in on the call as well. And there's no reason for the HR director to be on a call with you and your mentor unless you're getting fired. So this is just a quick note. The thing was, oh, I got a cough here, hold on. Very funny thing. I At that point in time, I had already moved to Montana. And I was like, okay, I got this meeting. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get laid off. But I volunteered to help coordinate a beer judging event. So I drove over to Livingston, Montana. And shoot, I got a cough again here. So Livingston, Montana is just about 45 minutes or so north of Yellowstone National Park. Very cool town. It's right off of Interstate 90. Small town, little Main Street. And I went to a place called Catabatic Brewing to meet with the owner and just chat, have some beers. And just before that meeting at Catabatic Brewing, which I think still exists, and now that I'm saying this out loud, I think my friend bought it. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him in a little while. But my friend was going to buy that brewery and be a brewer. So I was taking my call, meeting with my mentor and the HR director. And I think it was scheduled for an hour. It only took about 10 minutes to tell me that I had a couple weeks left. And my last day was going to be, I think it was like July 31st. So they... They, um, they cut me loose at the end of the month. And that was another thing, right? A lot of times, you'll, if you're going to get fired or laid off, it's going to be on a Friday afternoon, last thing, last meeting of the day. And that's exactly what it was. So I finished the meeting in the car and then went inside, had a beer. And I was like, oh, fuck, I just got laid off. I probably called my wife before I went in there, but I kind of knew it was coming. It turned out best thing ever to happen at the time, right? I wasn't financially independent. I wasn't in a, in a position of like FU money specifically, but I did feel confident financially. We were financially stable. Luckily my wife had a full-time job and I was able to really scale up and build my business, which turned out to be a very good thing in the long run. And a lot of times you will hear that when people get laid off, they're able, if they don't spiral out of control, but when they get laid off, they're able to work on the business that they want to work on. And oftentimes it ends up being the best thing for them in the long run. So with that said, I, I would be interested. Shoot me an email um, to let me know what you thought of this episode. There are all, several different pieces in here talking about FU money and the different definitions. You can share you know, your impressions, maybe you have a different definition. I'd be interested if you're in a position where you could tell your boss, hey, you know what? I don't want to do that. I'm out of here. I don't need this job. It's it's amazing when you get to that point. And then I mean, you can't let it go to your head and be a jerk about things, but it does give you that confidence that, oh, you know what? I, I've worked hard for a while and I can make decisions not solely based on money. I can think about some other things that are really important to me. So with that said, 
Thanks a lot to Otis. Appreciate their sponsorship. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.